evening is 1 Peter 2, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of any kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tested that the Lord is good. This ends a reading of the word of God. Amen. Well, you couldn't have picked better songs for today. And uh, that was awesome. The organ was awesome. Now it's starting to chime by itself. That was pretty good. I don't know how the fancy stuff works, but I'm just telling you that was good. And uh, So God bless Halloween. That thing can do that. <laughs> I'm just kidding with you, man. Come on. Anyway, uh, you can tell I'm a little more relaxed today, can't you? So I do want to thank Don and Vanessa for all the hard work they put into last weekend uh, at the harvest party for everybody who came out, was able to make it. Uh, that was a blast. Esther, my granddaughter, Amy, my wife, and I, we had a great time. Uh, of course, we was always in the back uh, catching up with everybody, and we had to turn around and go back. So needless to say, when I got home, I said, uh, I'm not passing go, collecting $200. I'm going straight to bed. I knocked out. Esther knocked out. I really don't know what Amy did, but I said, Brian's gone. It was a, I had a blast, and I do want to thank you guys for putting on that. It was a, it was really a good time. Thank you. I'm also uh, looking forward to tomorrow. I guess you guys do a trunk and treat out in the front, and so I'm working on something in the future to um, engage a little more, and, and I'll talk with the nurture committee. I guess, is that right, the Nurture Committee, about that. So anyway, a few weeks ago, I started a series of backward sermons, meaning to say I wanted to start with the finished product, the Church of the Living God, and work my way up in the verses, or backwards, if you will, in the verse, to say how the Church of the Living God came together by individuals from all walks of life, coming from their place of comfort, their home, into the public forum to become the people of God. And this morning, I would like to speak about how the church and those individuals who come to make the church and make us a new nation, how we are to respond to one another in our faith and how we're to live our lives and to be toward one another to make the church what it is. After all, the church of the living God is his physical presence on the earth to show mankind the love, mercy, tenderness, and kindness of God. And if God can't use us, we're in trouble. Who better to speak on these three issues, the church, how you come to be the church, and how you're to live out your life of faith in the church, than the Apostle Peter. After all, Peter was an eyewitness to the power, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and fulfillment of God's desire to save mankind on the day of Pentecost. It was Peter and the disciples who, in Acts chapter 4, gathered around and watched all these people from all nations of the world come together and say, we're leaving our place of comfort, we're leaving our environment, and things that we value and things that we trust in, we're going to lay at the apostles' feet and say, use it for the glory of God. There were others who gave up lifestyles, jobs, and said, I want to serve in this new way. I want to serve this Savior, and I want to follow Him. Therefore, I'm laying this part of my life down to please and honor Him. 
This group of people that came together, worked together for the glory of God, said nobody in the body lacked what was needed in their spiritual life. And as they were doing this, the rulers and elders called them before them and said, we forbid you anymore to preach in the public space anymore Jesus Christ. Peter wasn't disobedient to the government, so to speak. He said, you do what's right in your eyes, but we can't help but to go back and speak the things we've seen and heard. And after they were beaten because of what they'd done, the Bible says they went back to the people of God rejoicing because in their own way they had identified with the persecution of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And as the church began to grow and blossom there, some people came along and says, uh, these widows aren't being taken care of like the law requires. And Peter says, uh, pick out seven men full of the Spirit of God to take care of this ministry while we pray and preach his word. And while God was preparing Paul and Barnabas to go to the Gentiles, he gives Peter a vision. And God says to Peter, he lays down this food in front of him. His food is unclean by the law. And he says, eat this food, man. Peter says to God, you know I won't eat anything unclean. God says to him, what I've called clean, don't you call unclean. So Peter, in Acts chapter 10, he goes to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile God-fearer. He was called a God-fearer in uh, Acts chapter 10. And Peter says, I don't want to be here with you guys. You're Gentiles. You don't know my God. And then as he began to preach Jesus Christ, crucified, risen from the dead, he said, I saw with my own eyes the Holy Spirit fall on him just like he did us in Pentecost, showing me that God is no respecter of persons. He wants to save all of mankind through his son. So that when Paul and Barnabas come to go minister to these Gentile people and there's a fight, Peter stands up and says, I had a vision, man. And in my vision, God is no respecter of persons. He wants to send all mankind the same way. And God took Paul and Barnabas and unleashed his divine mercy, unleashed his divine love, unleashed his divine salvation on the Gentile nation. It was also Peter who understood the power of a praying church. He was in jail one day. And while he was in jail, this house church began to pray for him. And the Bible says an angel came and opened up the prison door. And Peter went back to the house church and he knocked on the door. And there's a lady there named Rhoda. He said, hey, Rhoda, open the door. She comes. She opens the door. And I'm sure she's like us today as a believer. She's shocked at what she sees. And she says, I must be having a vision or this is a dream or this is a ghost. And Peter says, no, it's really me. God has heard the prayer of his people, heard the prayer of his church, and I am here. Who better to write such encouraging words with such joy, affirmation, exhortation, knowledge, will, heart, and desire than the Apostle Peter when he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who better than Peter to say such words to a church spread out Asia Minor?
I'd like to say to you this morning, West Alexandria Church of the Brethren, you are a remnant of that church. This is who you are. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You are that generation. You are that people. You are that calling. He has touched you. He has saved you. And he has blessed you. And he has called you to be his people. But then he says, in the verses right above that, that this stone that came that the builders rejected was a lively stone. And then he says, you are a lively stone and that you show forth the praises of him. And he says, to you who believe, he is precious. He says, the disobedient don't care about God or the things of God. The builders who built the house didn't care about the stone that came. But he says, to you that believe, this stone is precious. Why would Peter say the word precious in such a way? Peter was in the core of the disciples, one of the inner three, so to speak. And Jesus one day called him and says, I got to go seek the will of God because what's about to happen to me is going to be bad news, dudes. So he takes him up to a mount to pray. Jesus goes off by himself and he comes back down. And the Bible says Peter and the other two were asleep. And he says, you guys couldn't watch with me one hour. You couldn't pray for one lousy hour. When I needed you the most and asked you to come and follow me, you fell asleep. It was Peter when the soldiers came to get Jesus to take him back for trial that he drew out his sword and he cut off the dude's ear. And Jesus said, what are you doing? Have I been so long with you? You don't understand me. You don't know me. You don't know my will. You don't know my heart. If I wanted to, I could have called the soldiers from heaven to come down and handle this war. But this is not the battle that I'm fighting, Peter. Have you been so long with me? You don't understand me. It was Peter who saw Jesus on the boat and said, Hey, man, let me come out there to you. Come on, Jesus said. And as he's walking out there on the water, got a little rough around him, and he began to sink. Jesus had to reach down and grab him. Then he had the audacity to say to the Lord Jesus. This is what he says to Jesus. I heard what you said, Lord, but no matter what happens in my life, I will always love you, I will always serve you, and I will always follow you because you are my God and you are my king. No matter what my brothers do, I love you and I will be in your will, Father. And Jesus walked by him when he's about to be crucified. And one of them says, you you was with that man. You know that man. Peter says, I don't know who that guy is. No idea what you're talking about. They keep on walking. Somebody else says, you was with that man. Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. No idea what you're saying. I don't know that man. He does it a third time. Somebody says, you was with that man. And Peter says, I was not with him. I don't know him. Leave me alone. And the bird made it sound. And Peter's heart dropped. Because Jesus said, before that bird does his thing, you'll deny me three times. Time after time after time, 
Peter failed the Lord Jesus even though he said, no matter what happens in my life, there's no trial too big. There's nothing going to happen to me to where I won't follow you. And yet he failed and he turned away and he denied and he walked away from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He had to be hurt. He had to be embarrassed doing such things to Jesus Christ. But when Jesus rose from the dead and he went to Mary, he says, go tell my disciples and Peter that I've risen again. And I want to meet with them over here for just a minute. I wouldn't have went there if I was Peter. How many more times I got to let you down, dude? What are you going to say to me? What's going to happen here? He was hurt. He was embarrassed. Ashamed, whatever feeling you want to put to it, I would guess he was like that. So he goes to the Lord Jesus. Here I am. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? I was about to get real. He says, you know I love you, man. He looks at Peter again and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter looks at the king. Man, you know I love you. He looks at Peter a third time and he says, Peter, do you really love me? And Peter says to him, you're breaking my heart. Why are you asking me if I love you? You know that I love you. You know I care about the things of God. You know I want to follow you. Why are you hurting me even worse than I was hurt before by asking me this question? And Jesus says to him, go feed my sheep. And it was Peter that he used to preach on the day of Pentecost the salvation of Christ. I can see him now writing this letter to these churches and saying, he is precious to us. He has value. He has meaning. He has significance to me because of what he done in my life. He is precious to me. Does he not have value in our lives? Is he not precious to us? I'm not allowed to speak for nobody. I can speak for me. I lied to him. I was cocky. said, no matter what anybody else does, I'll always serve you. I will always follow you. I'll always do what you say. And I fell flat on my face. And I couldn't face the king of glory. I'm sure we've all been there where we're just embarrassed and hurt. Our lives around us get just in total disarray. It all falls apart and there seems to be no help around and there's nothing we can do. We just keep sinking deeper and deeper and deeper in the mess and we don't know how to get out and we don't know what to do and we won't come to God because we're too hurt, we're too embarrassed because frankly sometimes in my mind I believe God hurts us. I don't believe he means to in this sense is my understanding of it. But ultimately, don't we say, why are you hurting me so bad? Why am I going through this? Why are you putting me through this? This is what Peter was asking him. You know I love you. You know I care about the things of God. You know I want to follow you. Why are you asking me these questions? And as he reached out to Peter, those old nail-scarred hands reaches out to you and me. And he says, do you love me? And we say, you know I love you, man. Do you love me? You know I love you. And he just takes his arms and he says, come and follow me. To you and I, he is precious. 
To you and I, he has meaning. To you and I, he has significance in our life. But when we come to our verse this morning, Peter don't want to tell this church about his own experience. No. In verse 3, he says, If so be you've tasted that the Lord is good. He wants to rely on the experience of somebody else. And that's the psalm I read this morning, the psalm of David in Psalm 34 and verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He said, I'm not going to tell you about my life, church. I want to tell you about somebody we mostly know about, and that's King David. What about David? David, who's living his own life out there taking care of some sheep, doing his own thing. Called out of his little house there. Called out of the farm. Called out of the field. And the prophet comes and says to this dad, These are all your sons? God don't want none of them. Who do you got left? Uh, I got the little runt down there that plays a little violin. And he flips this little rock in the air. That's who I got. He said, Bring that little runt to me. David comes from a place of comfort and security out into the public domain. And the prophet anoints him with oil and says, you will be the next king of Israel. So he goes and he plays for Saul. Saul's mind is kind of warped because he's dealing in things he shouldn't be dealing in. He's not obeying God. And as he goes and he plays for Saul, he hears this uh, Philistine. Everybody knows who he is, Goliath. Out mocking God and the children of Israel. And this little bitty dude comes up and says to all these soldiers, What's the matter with you guys? This man is blaspheming our God. He's making fun of our nation. And you're going to allow him to do it? He says to the Philistine, I got something for you. I'm going to come right out there now. And old Goliath says, Why are you bringing this little dude before me? I'm going to eat him up. David said, before this day is over with, brother, you're going down. Whop! Waxes him. He goes down and he cuts off his head and he brings it back to Saul. This little dude, caring for sheep, playing his little instrument, comes out into the public forum and God uses him in a mighty way. And Saul puts him ahead of soldiers. Now he's winning battles left after right. He's getting all kinds of wives, all kinds of money, and things are going good. And Saul gets jealous. Saul kicks him out, says, I got to kill you now, dude. You're getting bigger than me. David let out on his own. Now we don't know what soldiers are with him, what soldiers want to kill him. He can't go to these other lands because he's done whoop their soldiers. What's he going to do? He lives in caves, he lives out in the open. But somehow God brings him food, brings him water, and has men come to him and say, We know you're the anointed of God. We are going to follow you because God's hand is on you. And David's scattering all over the place. But yet he's taken care of. And one day, God puts Saul right into his hand. He goes down to the cave and he gets on Saul. And says, I can end all my misery right now and take over the throne. And he doesn't do it. He lays his thing down, his sword down. He says, Saul, God put you in my hand today and I could have killed you, but I didn't. Saul comes out of the cave and says, David, you are more righteous than me. Forgive me for what I've done. David said, who am I to touch God's anointed? 
That's not my call. That's God's call. God will deal with you in his own way. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, David says. This is what Peter says to the church. Taste and see that he's good. And then David has to run again. So now he runs to a king. And he don't want anybody to know who he is. When he runs to the king, he acts like a madman. He starts foaming at the mouth and doing all this stuff. So nobody will come after him because nobody wants to be around a lunatic. But it worked against him. The king said, look at this nut coming into my court. Kick him out of here. He did it because only God could be his protector in God's way. And only God would do righteous thing to protect his people. So David could rightfully say, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. When I was poor, when I was scared, when I was nervous. He took care of me. But he just didn't say that for that reason. Wasn't it David who committed adultery? When he saw Bathsheba and said, I got to have that woman. So he has the woman. The woman gets pregnant. He brings the soldier back, says, you need to go be with your woman. I got a real, as the world turns stories going on here. (laughs) This ain't working right. Go be with your wife. And this guy says, I can't go be with my wife when my soldiers are dying. David said, this really ain't working right. You're not even doing what I'm asking you to do. So David got him drunk to send him back. I'm not doing that to my soldiers who are out there fighting. So David sends a guy out and has him killed so that he cannot deny that was his son. David commits adultery and he commits murder. He should have been killed for what he done. But God showed him grace and peace and mercy. He was judged. The baby died. God said, this is the penalty for your sin. Even though he fasted all them days and all them nights, God said, the baby's baby's going to die. The baby died. His family was in total disarray. I mean, divorce, remarriage, killing each other, brother, marrying sister. It was just, it was a normal soap opera going on in the house of David. It was all in disarray. And David knew he had messed up. He knew he had sinned. But he loved God. He wanted to serve God. And the one thing he wanted to do more than anything was build God a house. He wanted to build a temple. A place of worship for the king. But he wasn't allowed to do it because God said you got blood on your hands. So what was God going to do to show him that he loved him and cared for him? Even though he had to judge his life. Even though he was in disarray. That God wanted to grant him grace and peace and show him his goodness. Bathsheba had a son named Solomon. And it was Solomon who built the temple. He's good to you, man. So David can say. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's good in my good times when I'm up here, man. And when I'm struggling in my trial and I don't know where I'm going, but he knows I love him. And then when I mess up and I sin and I turn away from him, he knows in my heart I love him and I want to follow him, but it's just too much on me right now. And God has a way to show mankind his grace, his love, and his peace. And that's how you taste and know that the Lord is good. And this is what Peter says. He said, if you've tasted this, If you know that he's been good to you. Do you not know that? Has he been good to you in your own life? Come on. We've all messed up. We've all sinned and done things we didn't want to do. And maybe we see that sin that we've committed reflected in our family. We tried to avoid it. 
We try, we don't, son, please don't go down this road. Don't do what your dad did. Too late, you did it. I'm going to do it. Like, no, don't go down this road. But God has a way to take everything that we break, everything that we mess up, everything that we turn wrong, and he can make it right. And he does it by extending his hand of love to you and to me. He reaches it right down there. And he says, can't you see that I'm good to you? This is what Peter says to the church. Can't you see? Have you not known it? Have you not touched it? Have you not received him and know that he's good to you? And then he says, if he's been gracious, good, and kind to you, he says how we're supposed to be. He says, number one, we should be growing as believers. 1 Peter chapter 2, the end of verse 3. If so, you be tasted that the Lord is gracious to you, then this is where you are supposed to respond. You are supposed to grow in your walk and in your life with the Lord. And he says, how do I grow? He's going to tell you how we're to grow. Study his word. Get in that word. Make this word a part of your life. In this word is life. In this word is breath. In this word is meaning. In this word is salvation. In this word is the Holy Spirit. In this word is a healing of a broken heart. He says, get in that word. Not only get in the word, but have a desire to speak his word. Come out of your place of comfort. Come out from your life into this new community, into this new faith, and share the word of God with others. Desire to talk about the goodness of Jesus, what he's done in your life, how he's changed you, how he's made you, how he's molded you. Sometimes it is hurtful and sometimes embarrassing to have to tell your kid, brutally honest, this is a bad road you're going down because you've experienced that road. And maybe you have to tell your son something that you really didn't want him to know about because you was the super dad. That's a rough story to tell. I had to tell it to my middle son, and it was hard. Please don't go down this road. This is what his word says. Trust in this word. Follow this word. Don't be like the old man. Go down this way, son. Study his word. Have a desire to speak his word. And then he says, be like a child. What? Be willing to learn from the Lord Jesus Christ. Be like a little baby that's always reaching out when it's hungry. It asks the parent for food. When it's hurt, it cries out to the parent for help. When it's happy, it laughs at the parent for joy. Cry out to God. Seek God. Ask God to help you. Ask God to touch you. Be like a child. Let your heart be palatable to Him. Let Him speak to your heart and follow the heart that He's given you and follow Him no matter what. He wants to do the work in your life. He says, be like a child, willing to learn from Him, willing to follow Him. Then he says, part of being like his child is treating your brother right. He says, first of all, quit speaking evil or backbiting on your brother in the church. He says, this only causes distractions. You know, if we talk bad about somebody else, it gets in, the, in somebody's head, and then they judge that person in that way, and then it just turns into a big old storm. And in my opinion, that's how churches split. They start fighting and bickering amongst themselves, backbiting, doing things they shouldn't do. 
And Peter says, put all this evil speaking away from you, man. All it does is causes distractions. If you've tasted and known that he's good, if he's done a work in your life and you're going to be like a child and you're going to follow him and going to serve him and be in his word, he says, quit evil speaking about other people. It don't do no good. He says, secondly, don't envy. Do not get upset at another man's prosperity. I don't like that scripture. I tell you why. I've seen so many pastors commit adultery, rob from the church, and they get bigger churches. I ain't never done nothing like that. Hey, here I am. As far as clean goes, brother, I'm clean. Look at that dude over there. Done been with the secretary, the pianist. Uh, how many more people he's got to be with? And you're going to give him a bigger church and give him money? I was mad as a hornet. That's not my call. That made me bitter. And I got upset so that I'd always respond to somebody else in such a negative way and always bring that one subject up. Not the goodness of God in my life. Not his love in my life. Not that I'm making pretty good money. Not that me and my wife are getting along. Not that my boy is in church and all my family's around me and I finally have them around my home for years and years now. That Amy can see him. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the one preacher who done wrong and I'm mad at that joker. another man has God will deal with that then he says do not be a hypocrite say one thing and do another one thing I aim to tell you I've always lived my life consistent if I'm telling you I'm not following God I ain't following him at all I'm done with it but she says if he follows him she gets scared there goes my car, there goes my bank account. Uh, Brian, what else do you want to give away? Ten more suits? What else can we give away? Because now you're all of a sudden back in love with him. You, you know what I mean? Don't we get like that? Some days we're what's called on fire for him, and nothing matters but him, and we'll do anything he says, and then at other times, ah, I just, I, I'm, I'm going to talk bitter about my king. Don't be a hypocrite. Say one thing and do another be consistent in our lives. Then he says, do not set a snare or guile for someone. In other words, set them up for failure. He says, be free from that. Don't set anybody up to fail. And then he says, don't be vicious or malicious in your character, meaning do nobody any harm. How could he say such things? Ain't that the way Jesus down on them or condemn them. No, he never did. And he says, if you're in the faith, if you're following him and you're serving him and you're honoring him and you know that he's been good, don't act in this way. Don't do these things, he says. This is his part, not because it's a do or don't, but because he's in you and he's precious to you. Why would you want to do anything to hurt anybody else? He's never hurt us. Peter says, put all that away from our lives. Why? We are the body of Christ. We are a called out, separated, holy people to the Lord. He took us away from our homes 
away from our comfort, away from our sin, and he brought us out into the public forum to make us a new nation, a mighty nation, a holy nation that represents him here on the earth. And if we don't do it, who will? If we can't reflect the goodness, the grace, and the salvation of Christ, who will do it? We experience all this stuff the day we ask Jesus Christ to be our Savior. No matter what context, no matter how you do it, I know we're all from different traditions. Some did it at an altar call. Some might did it at a revival meeting. Some may just confess Christ uh, when they were real young. They was in church their whole life at their first communion, at their first uh, dedication, so to speak. Whichever way you came to Him, somehow you had to come to Him. And somehow He touched your life and you asked Him for forgiveness. My backward sermons were to talk about the glory of the church and how all these different kinds of people come to make the church what it is. And then how all these different kinds of people from all these different nations and lands were to act and respond to one another. Started from the perfect and working our way back to how it got to where it was. Who better to speak on such an issue than Peter, who had experienced it in his own life, and we are a remnant of that people. God is calling us as his holy representatives on this earth to reflect his glory and reflect his honor. He's called us to do that. Is he tugging your heart this morning? Is he speaking to your heart? Is he asking you to finally just stand? I'm laying it all down. Father, and I'd ask you just to be open to him this morning. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the life of the Apostle Peter. No one better to touch these three subjects of the church, how the church came to be, and how precious he is to us as individuals. You know us individually. You know the West Alexandria Church of the Brethren. You know our hearts. You know our desires. You know everything about us. And I ask, Lord, that where we need forgiveness, the forgiveness if we need to reconcile with a brother and sister in Christ, let us do that speedily. Let us live out what we say we believe, Lord. Let us follow you with an open heart, a free heart, that you be glorified in our lives and you be honored and lifted up. And I know sometimes we break things and we tear things up, Lord, and I'm asking you to be the healer of the breach, to heal the things that are broken, 
to heal our hearts, to heal our souls, to heal our families, to heal our lives, to heal our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let everything we say and do in our lives, Lord, honor you and lift you up. Fill us with your Holy Spirit to follow you, Lord, and to help us out along the way. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.